Welcome to Center Ice, the Hockey Alberta podcast, home to all things hockey in our great province. Now, here's your host, Ted Emmett. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Center Ice podcast. I'm your host, Ted Emmett. Happy to be with you once again as we get geared up for the summer months. And we have a great episode in store for you as I know I say that every time, but I mean it every time. At the time of this episode coming out, we're actually right in the middle of the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association's Secret Dream Gap Tour in Calgary. Uh, that's a mouthful, but a really great thing going on right now uh, for female hockey and just for sport in general. So we're going to actually chat with Team Canada legend Cassie Campbell-Pascal, who's part of the broadcast team on Sportsnet for that event. And since May is Asian Heritage Month, Hockey Alberta's new Newest employee, Kara Spady, makes her center ice debut in a conversation with former Medicine Hat Tigers standout Stephen Tashura. And normally, this is the spot where I deliver some sort of news about COVID-19. Honestly, usually bad news or sometimes saying, hey, nothing has changed. But this time, as you're probably well aware of, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'm recording this actually pretty much right after Jason Kenney just announced Alberta's reopening plan for the summer. So we could return to some sort of, if not complete, normalcy by July, uh, which means youth and adult sports can return and eventually with no restrictions, but just like any other time, of course, we do need to work with the government, uh, find out exactly what those details are and how they pertain to hockey. So stay tuned to HockeyAlberta.ca for more information on that because we will, of course, provide more information once it becomes available. And so with that, let's get to our first guest. Joining us now is a Canadian hockey legend. She's represented Canada at the Olympics three times, winning a silver medal in 1998 in Nagano, Japan, and captain Team Canada to a pair of gold medals in 2002 and 2006, is the only captain male or female to lead Canada to two Olympic gold medals. And you can add to that six gold medals at the IIHF Women's World Championships. And she's since become an incredibly accomplished broadcaster. You can see her on Sportsnet. She joined Hockey Night in Canada in 2006 and became the first female color commentator on a broadcast. Although she's an Alberta transplant, her contributions to the game in our province have earned her an induction into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame, which of course, due to circumstances, still hasn't happened yet, but it will, we promise. She's a trailblazer for women in sport and women in broadcasting. I'm obviously talking about Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Cassie, thank you so much for joining us for this. Thanks for having me, Ted. And now, as I catch my breath from your intro there still only really tells part of the story of who you are and what you've accomplished in the game so to start out can you just tell us a bit more about your involvement in hockey over the years and and where it's taken you well it you know started a long time ago when I was seven years old I I got to put on the skates and play on a real team for the very first time and to be honest with you Ted I actually started playing hockey in the United States as my dad was transferred there for work and you know started playing with the boys like so many women you know my age had to do and moved back to Canada and played for the Brampton Canadettes, which was uh, one of the biggest girls hockey associations in the world at the time. So really lucked out where my parents chose to live and move back to Canada and, and, you know, put our roots down. And, you know, I just love the game. I love playing sport. I love playing hockey. And it led me to be able to play 
play on our national team and, you know, go to some Olympics and play in world championships and, and embark on a journey with so many incredible women. And then post-career, you have no idea what you're going to do. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you land on Hockey Night in Canada, which is just this iconic show in our country and just proud to be a part of it. And, you know, this is the ending of my 15th season. So it time flies. And, you know, now I have a daughter that plays in the game as well here in Calgary. So it's kind of come full circle for me. And so first off, let's talk about your incredible playing career. Everyone dreams of growing up representing their country in the Olympics. You got to do it three times. And as I mentioned, two Olympic gold medals with Team Canada as a captain and the only player to do that. Uh, Growing up playing hockey, did you ever think that the game would take you that far? I had no idea. You know, we didn't really learn about uh, Team Canada until I was about 16 years old. And uh, two years later, we learned that we were going to be able to go to the Olympics for the very first time in 1998. So I just grew up wanting to be like my brother. You know, I just grew up wanting to play street hockey like he did, wanting to play hockey like he did. And I was very fortunate that although my parents, you know, my dad in particular pushed me to maybe try tennis because he thought maybe I'd make more money playing tennis. But, you know, both my parents were athletic and supportive of me being in sports. And I was really fortunate because that always wasn't the case uh, for young girls of my generation. And, uh, you know, I played every sport I could get my hands on. And But hockey just seemed to be the one that I always seemed to love the most. And lo and behold, was able to have a future in it. And, and you know, it's it's been such a fun ride to watch the women's game grow and to watch the current players and how amazing and how such great ambassadors they are for the game. And, and that part of it makes me really proud. And I have to ask, and hopefully it's not too soon, but it's the age old question going back now to 1998 when you silver. Does a team win silver or do you lose gold? Because I know there's there's kind of a difference of opinion on that one. Well, I'll answer with this. You learn a life lesson or two. You know, obviously, I think as a hockey player, you'd almost rather be in the bronze medal game and win than the gold medal game and lose because at least you won the last game. But, you know, I think over the years, we've learned, you know, those of us that were part of that, just, you know, how fortunate we were to be part of the first ever Olympics. And of course, we would have liked to bring home a gold medal. And and I definitely have a, a sense of regret to some degree with the older players that were part of that team, knowing that that was their only chance to win a gold and to not be able to do that for them. I think that's one of the regrets of my career. But on a personal level, and I think as a program level, uh, we learn more about ourselves as people and as leaders. And, you know, it really helped us that experience to change the color four years later in, in 2002 and, and playing the American Dream Team who had been centralized. And I think getting a taste of that losing in 98 definitely helped us to win in 2002 and, and you know, definitely helped me in particular to become a better player and, and a better person and a better leader. So sometimes challenges and adversity, you know, you, you don't want them. But I think as an athlete, we understand that they're important as part of our career and we, we try and learn from them. And, you know, I look back now and I'm proud. I'm proud of that silver and I'm proud to have been part of that group. And, you know, I know it, it taught me more about life than any of the gold medals have. Well, and you answered my next question perfectly, which was about the adversity of, of losing out on gold and, and using that as fuel. So that's perfect. We'll kind of switch gears a bit now into your current career. Uh, we see it all the time after an athlete retires. They often have a number of different opportunities to stay involved in the game for you that came in the form of broadcasting what made you choose that route or, or did it almost kind of choose you well, I kind of dabbled in my career. You know, when I finished my my university degree at the University of Guelph, it was, you know, I was playing for the national team full time. And that was strange for us as female hockey players to play hockey full time, although that's a dream we've always wanted to have. But we were always kind of used to having education to, you know, sort of balance in our lives. And so I was kind of looking for that balance. So I would dabble in local television shows and radio shows. And I think my first hockey experience was, you know, here locally doing the Calgary Flames radio broadcasts and with Rob Kerr and Mike Rogers. And 
And then I, you know, did the NHL network when it first started, you know, post 2002 Olympics and dabbled in that. And, you know, I just show up for breakfast television when they needed someone to fill in and, and I just kind of liked it. And it kind of helped give me some balance and gave me something else to kind of look forward to and take my mind off hockey when needed. And I never thought I'd be on Hockey Night in Canada. And, you know, I think there's two people, Joel Darling and Rick Jude, who are two men that, that supported me early in my broadcasting career. And, you know, I did an audition for Hockey Night. Next thing I knew I was on the show. So it was a real learning a curve and a steep one and um, you know I just kind of learned the business as I went along and you know just that they still want me after all this time and and uh, who knows how long it'll last so just kind of enjoying it while I can. And we all know life as a player and as a broadcaster both incredibly busy so you probably haven't had that much time to to catch your breath since you started playing you know it's albeit in different ways but your husband Brad is an assistant GM with the Calgary Flames so when we say you're a hockey family you really truly are a hockey family and a lot to juggle so how do you balance the life of a broadcaster and your family life because it you know even this year in a COVID year is still quite busy. Well, we just, it's all we've ever known. You know, when I met him, he was working for Hockey Canada and, uh, you know, part of our men's programs. And that was just, you know, what we know of each other. And I think it actually helps the relationship work because we each have our own thing. You know, we each have our own thing going on and we support each other. And, and first and foremost is our daughter, Brooke, who plays. And, you know, she's our number one priority. And that that's one of the things that kind of helps keep us together, the glue of the family, if you will. And, and I think just an understanding of what each other's going through and the pressures that you face in hockey. I mean, it's just hockey. It's not, you know, life or death, but there are pressures that come along with it, especially in this country. And so, you know, just supporting each other in that way. And, you know, the great thing is a date night for us is sitting down and watching hockey at home on TV. So, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good gig. And, um, you know, just, this is all we've kind of ever known in our relationship is for both of us to be involved in hockey. And, and so I think in that sense, we just kind of know where each other comes from and know how driven we both are. And we just try to support each other the best that we can. And uh, we're lucky that both of us have jobs in hockey. It's, it's a rare opportunity and we're appreciative of that. And we understand and have perspective around that. So, you know, everything else just kind of falls into place and, and we, you know, just do the best we can like any other family trying to find balance and in and, and careers and, and with, you know, being parents as well. And you've really become not only with your career, you know, and what you do now, you also are, are constantly a champion for women in sport, both as an athlete and as a broadcaster. I know the game has come a long way in terms of equality, but what were the barriers, if any, that you had to face coming up as a female hockey player and now even more so uh, as a female broadcaster in hockey? Well, I think growing up, I mean, you'd walk into a rink as a young girl and you'd hear everybody kind of snicker and, you know, kind of say girls shouldn't play hockey. And and those were the things that kind of fueled you. And, you know, even now as a broadcaster, you know, you're seeing so many more female hockey players coming on, which is fantastic. And But when I started, I, I really was kind of the only one. And not that I was the only female because we had so many other great ones like Brenda Irving and, and, you know, so many, you know, Colleen Jones who were involved in sports. And But for me, it was, you know, really the first female player to be involved in hockey. And, and to be on it. So you didn't really have a friend to reach out to and say, hey, how does this work? But, you know, the guys were so supportive of me. They never made me feel like I was a woman. And, and I know that might sound weird, but they they treated me like a hockey person and, and respected me and I respected them. And, you know, I learned so much from Kelly Rudy and Ron McLean and the list goes on and on, you know, Elliot Friedman and, and 
you know, they were willing to kind of teach me as I went. And so, yeah, sure, there's some challenging times and people to this day, you know, don't think that females have a business, you know, in NHL hockey, but it is what it is. And you just kind of try to keep breaking down some barriers and doing a good job. And and I think that's what I bring from the table. I, I, I'm consistent and I just work so hard behind the scenes. And, and that's really, I can all, all that I can ask for myself. And in the day of social media, you're going to take it on the chin from time to time as a public figure, but that kind of comes with the territory. And, and I think it comes with just how passionate people are in this country about their teams, about hockey, about this great sport. And so, you know, I kind of take it all with a grain of salt. And I think it's always encouraging just to see more and more of the female broadcasters that are, are getting hired at every level, really all over the game. I know Brian Burke always said with his You Can Play project, right? If you can play, you can play. And I think it's the same for broadcasting. If you're good, you're good, right? And doesn't matter. So you've been a big part, as you mentioned, of paving the way for former female athletes to step off the ice and into the broadcasting booth. And I, I love that it's we're seeing it more and more. What does it mean to you? to see that the women not only having the opportunity to step into the broadcast booth, but really for them to do so with so much success. Well, I, I think I, I'm just so proud of them, you know, just the confidence they have. And, you know, when I was kind of starting, I, you know, I was like a deer in the headlights and, you know, you get thrown on the biggest stage, right? My first game was the Battle of Alberta. and What a bigger stage than that. You know, there's not too many. And so, you know, I, I just think the confidence that they have, that they believe this is normal, you know, and when I started, it wasn't normal. So, you know, you you were wondering what am I doing here and why am I here and then you realize well it's because I love the game of hockey and so you know today they just come in with so much confidence and and I'm just proud of their swagger I'm proud that they believe as a woman that they can you know do anything that they put their mind to and you know and just how they balance it you know when I, I, I dabbled in it in my playing career but I really waited till my career was over before I really you know dove deep into broadcasting and now they're right, you know, they're right in the thick of things as they're playing and they're trying to balance those two careers. And it's just remarkable to watch them. And, and I, I, you know, when I watch them on the air, I get a little smile on my face, like, you know, you go girl and, and you slay girl. Like those are the types of things I kind of say to myself and, and just proud to have been part of it, you know, been proud to have allowed them to have this journey. And, you know, there's so many of us in the sense of people who are women who are in sports broadcasting, but, you know, to watch these young players come on now and, and do what they do on air and, and games it's it's like it's becoming normal and and i'm really proud to watch them and i'm huge supporters of them all and yeah, I love it too. I think it always adds a, a great dynamic, great perspective. And you know, I think a, a couple months ago, we saw the first ever all-female broadcast for the NBA. I know you were part of the, one of the first all-female NHL broadcasts, I think just over a year ago now. So it's it's amazing to see that and, and really encouraging that. The opportunities are there for everyone, which I think, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of broadcasting, a, a way to stay involved in the game, a, a great career and a lot of fun. And you have a, a pretty cool gig coming up at the end of May, sports. Sportsnet made a, a very exciting announcement last week that the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, uh, their secret Dream Gap tour, uh, which is all about just exposure for the female game. It's not only making a stop in Canada, but it's it's coming to you in Calgary, so right here in Alberta. And three of the games are going to be aired on national television, which is amazing. Uh, obviously been a, a rough year and, and a couple months now for female hockey on the national and international stage, so we won't dive too deep in, into that part of it, but what does that mean for 
everyone involved in female hockey to see this happen in Canada, in Alberta, on the national stage. Yeah, it's been, you know, as much as the PWHBA has been able to play a ton of games, you know, they have established relationships with five NHL teams now this year. And they've played at Madison Square Gardens. They've played in St. Louis. And obviously the rules in the United States are a little bit different. And, you know, unfortunately, they haven't had the opportunity to play as much here in Canada as, of course, they would like to. But, you know, this is exciting, you know, that the province of Alberta and Alberta Health is going to support this initiative and it's going to be a tight bubble and with the Calgary Flames support it's amazing and so they'll play a bunch of games and we'll have three of them three of them on air which is exciting and you know Sportsnet has done an amazing job from their support of the Canadian Women's Hockey League previously which you know I was a board member of to continuing to support the the PWHBA and and trying to provide as much coverage as they can and support as they can and in what's been a real difficult two years for women's hockey I can't thank them enough and they've been great partners and because it's in you know in my hometown if you will the town where I live in now in Calgary uh, it's you know I'll start the my Sportsnet coverage with Edmonton Winnipeg series and then I'll you know take a little hiatus to do this and then I hope we'll be able to come back and cover the NHL playoffs but I'm really looking forward to it and I'm going to be working with Leah Hextall again and exciting to see women's hockey is going to be on the national stage on sports that's going to be fun and I think it's cool too it's going to come right in the thick of, of playoff time as well uh, which is just even better and obviously unfortunately won't be any fans in the stands for this one but what would you hope to see in terms of engagement for this and what could you know players teams families anyone really do outside of just turning on the TV to show their support for this and really leave up to it even raise the awareness for it? Well, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, you mentioned Brian Burke earlier, and that was what he always said about women's sports. If you truly want to support it and you truly believe in it, buy a ticket. Well, in this case, we can't buy tickets because of the pandemic, and that's completely understandable. There's much more important health issues that are surrounding us as Canadians and around the world for that matter. But you can watch, and that, you know, ratings are really key, right? Really key for women's sports, and it's just like as if you bought a ticket. And so, you know, send out pictures of watching the PWHP and, and the great players, the, the best players in the world that'll be playing, you know, within this little mini tournament and, and send out pictures on social media and hashtag PWHBA and hashtag at Sportsnet and all those types of things. And just kind of support it that way. Watch it on TV and watching it on TV helps to bring in sponsors that, you know, the ratings are really key. So, you know, that's the best way I would advise, you know, fans and maybe people who just are interested and want to maybe become future fans to watch it on Sportsnet and then support it that way and, and help spread the news on uh, social media. And that's great advice. I think that's something we always think about or we know, but don't really think about is Yeah, just watch, support, you know, social media is a big one these days as well to, to raise awareness. So we're all really looking forward to that. I think it's a, a week long it's seven days so there are the three games on tv and i believe all games are going to be streamed live on the sportsnet platform as well so uh, good luck to you on that again we really look forward to it i think it's going to be a uh, great hockey and really great for the the female game to get to be on that national stage so shifting back to you again as i just alluded to it it has been quite the year since this pandemic hit and it hit really not long after you were announced as part of that i guess now we'll call it elusive class of 2020 for the alberta hockey hall of fame which was postponed recently for the second time now it's going to be held in 2022 but although you really have to wait for that induction what does it mean to you to share that honor with some truly amazing Albertans? Yeah, you know, I've lived here for almost 17, 18 years and uh, I'm from Ontario and I remember moving here to play and uh, one of my teammates, she's from Saskatchewan, her name's Colleen Sistorics. Finally, after a couple of years, she came up to me, she said, you know what, Cass, you're officially an honorary Westerner. So, you know, I was just proud of that and, and proud that, you know, they kind of accepted me out here. And, and then, you know, when 
the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, you just you don't expect it. You know, I wasn't born here, but I, you know, have lived here a long time and, and feel like I've set up some roots here and, you know, got to play for the Calgary Oval Extreme and got to travel around Alberta as we promoted hockey in the Shirley Cameron Cup with the Edmonton Chimos and, you know, just, you know, now part of the minor hockey system, helping to coach my daughter when I, you know, have that opportunity and, you know, being an assistant coach on her team. And it's just, you know, fun to live here and fun to be part of the community. And I love this province and it's, it's given me a lot and I hope to continue to give back. But, you know, when my my old coach, Melody Davidson, called me to tell me about this honor, it was it was shocking. You know, I, I wasn't sure I'd be accepted. So I officially feel accepted. And I, I look back at my my teammate statement from many years ago, and, and I really feel like an honorary Westerner now. So this is kind of makes it official and gives me sort of that little piece of paper, if you will. And uh, and just to go in with the group I'm going in with, it's just an incredible group. And from builders to coaches uh, to so many people who've done so many great things for the game. And, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to do it moving forward if they're going to continue and use these classes and add them on and we'll all go in together. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but it'll be an exciting day with my family. We'll be there as well. So I'm looking forward to it. And if nothing else, you get to be part of the longest celebrated class of Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame history, which is, I guess it's something, right? And we'll we'll take what we can get these days. And you did mention Mel Davidson. I'm going to throw one in. What was it like to be able to to learn under her? I think she is one of my favorite people in the game. I have so much respect for her and what she's done. So what was it like to have the ability to, to play for her and learn from one of the best? Yeah, you know, she was there right at the beginning of my career in 1994 and, you know, having an opportunity to watch her run our program and to take our program from one level to another. It was just amazing. And, you know, not only a great coach, but she was a great general manager as well. And, you know, someone we'll keep in touch from time to time today. And, and you know, I'll, she'll pick my brain and I'll pick her brain. You know, we kind of, you know, ask each other for advice from time to time and, and really just keep in touch as much as we can in such a busy time. But, you know, she just, she demanded a lot, you know, and I always felt for me, me as the captain and even towards the end of my career when you know it was a struggle for me to make my last Olympic uh, team just you know for just it happens to all of us as we get older but she was always honest with me and that's one thing I really appreciate about Mel is that she'll look you in the eye and she'll tell you how it is and she'll never sugarcoat it and you know I I personally could take it and I personally appreciated that the most and I knew where I stood with her and I thought that was important but you know she was someone that would reach out to people and get different perspectives before she made key decisions and you know she often included the leadership group and all of her decisions, which I think is very important. And, you know, she really, her and Danielle Sobejo, they deserve a lot of credit for what's happening with our women's program right now and, and how they help to build it in different ways, both of them in very different ways, but how they help to build it. And, you know, Mel will always be a great mentor and a great friend and, and someone who had a terrific impact on my life. Oh, and sorry, I'm going to apologize because now I'm jumping all over the place on you, but going back now to, to what the last year and a bit has been like from a broadcasting standpoint, what has the, the last year and a bit been like for you? You and your fellow broadcasters because there was the break then playoffs in the summer a late start this year and a modified schedule has it been tough to navigate or are you really all just happy to be out there calling games one way or another well other than everyone thinking i'm laying on my floor right now because this is my backdrop the wall behind me people think i'm laying on a hardwood floor but i'm not really one to have jerseys and knickknacks and all that stuff behind me but i often get criticized for that um everything that i own like that is in the basement so this is my home office but um you know for me i'm not gonna lie ted like to not have to travel as much as we traveled before it's been a real blessing in disguise and of course we'd like to be 
in person and and we'd like to have that connection with the players and you know to get the stories and all those types of things so that part of our job has been made a little bit more difficult but it's hockey and I have a home studio they continually find ways to upgrade and and to help with the delay and all those types of things and I'll be honest with you Ted I'm not so sure we're going back to the way it was before I I don't think you'll see everyone travel to Toronto to be part of Hockey Night and uh, I think this is an economical way and through technology they've been able to make it work and you know I, I can't wait till we have fans in the building I really miss the fans like when you're doing a game now it's it's hard to keep that energy you know it's kind of sometimes hard to make it exciting just because you, you miss that sort of camaraderie and the noise and the crowd and, and just the atmosphere but it's our job and and heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs I think this North Division has been fantastic and really fun to watch you know Connor McDavid and the Austin Matthews and the Leon Dreisaitl's and just the, the great action between the Canadian teams I think it's even going to be more fun here in the playoffs and, and I'm also looking forward to covering some of the U.S. teams too that are going to happen in the playoffs I, I do Washington Boston coming up here on a Saturday night so that first round series is going to be a lot of fun you know you just navigate it's like all of us we've had to change the way we're living through this and change the way we do things and you know one thing I've learned uh, through COVID um, and through this pandemic is that taking care of myself is productive and it's allowed me a little bit more time to be home with my family it's allowed me to have a little bit more time to take care of myself I, I could do with less Zoom calls but I, I realize this is our reality and this is what we're in and, and I'm really just appreciating less time in an airport that's that's one of my big things and, and you know I enjoy not traveling so uh, I'm gonna you know obviously I want this COVID thing to end sooner rather than later but I'm gonna try and, and find the positives in it and, and you know try to keep perspective and, and I think that's gonna be important moving forward for everyone well first off I appreciate you taking the time for this Zoom call I know it's just another another one on a long list but that's pretty cool to hear and was going to be part of my other question was how this pandemic has changed the game and changed changed media really too. I think you all do such a great job on the panel every Saturday night or on Hockey Night in Canada, every game really, you know, with everyone being from home. And I know I've talked to a couple other broadcasters where they're calling games from the, you know, the boardroom of their radio station or, or whatever it is. Is that, uh, how long did that take to get used to, too, from either not being there? Like you said, there's a, there's a delay in that. Like how difficult was that to adjust to? I think the hardest part, you know, just not being in studio in Toronto is when you get chirped, you know, there's a delay, you can't chirp right back. So, you know, just that camaraderie part of the broadcast where it had to be a little bit more structured, you know, who Ron and David were throwing to, you know, we couldn't just jump in and, and, and sort of be ourselves in that sense, you know, especially for those of us that weren't there. But, you know, they our technical crew is amazing and, and they've upgraded our systems. You know, my studio is literally right across here on the other side of this the, the iPad. And it's amazing. It's a camera and a light and a Jiro box and, and they've just upgraded it as it's gone along as they can and they've you know negated most of that delay and they've made it as normal as possible and you know I think moving forward it's truly going to be a more economical way of doing this because they don't have to pay for our hotels and our flights and everything else that comes with travel so I wouldn't be surprised if that part of this kind of stays within our society and stays within broadcasting in particular but it's you know there there's some challenges but honestly to work with this group and to work with our producers who are so detailed and so dedicated and so on top of the ball of just everything that goes on it's really like playing for team canada you know it's it's the best of the best if you will and and so we we just we push through what we got to push through just like everybody else right you, you know you everyone's facing some adversity in different ways and and we just find a way to push through some of the adversity that we're facing in broadcasting and trying to bring the game of hockey into your homes and and uh we do it together right just like everyone we do it together as family and as friends and 
And we just kind of keep picking up each other's spirits and keep telling positive stories and, you know, connecting with all the people we know in hockey because it's a little bit harder to connect when you can't see them at the rink. But you, you pick up the phone, you, you text, you call. And, and I think everyone's understanding that, you know, we need that interaction more so than ever right now. So uh, we'll just keep plugging away like everyone else is doing. And I don't think people really realize how difficult it is to keep these broadcasts going during a time like this. Obviously, you turn on your TV, everyone's there. In some people's mind, maybe it's as simple as everyone's on FaceTime, right? But I know a lot goes into it. So we appreciate that kind of behind the scenes look at it as well. And like I said, everyone's uh, doing such an amazing job and and it's almost like everyone's all together. So uh, really glad to see that and that little tiny sense of normalcy with everything else going on. And just to wrap things up, we won't keep you much longer. Um, again, we, we mentioned a lot about you being a trailblazer for women in sport. Do you have a message for all the aspiring female athletes out there, or even broadcasters too, or anyone that's just really trying to carve a path in the game, however that may be? Well, I, I think have a passion for it, you know, fall in love with the game and work hard at it. You know, I think uh, everyone wants to kind of get to Hockey Night in Canada. Everyone wants to play on Team Canada. And, and, and those are amazing, amazing goals. But you really have to be passionate to make it to the elite level. You really have to love the game. And, you know, so always practice the basics but I, I I believe that if you're humble and you're hardworking that those two you know characteristics can really take you a long way and those are kind of two things that I live by and just to have fun along the way you know enjoy the process of being a young hockey player enjoy the challenges that come with it enjoy the motivation that it can give you and especially for a young girl don't let anyone tell you that you can't play the greatest game on earth and I know we have a lot of small towns here in Alberta that predominantly only have boys hockey so please allow girls to play you know if they're if they're good enough please allow them to play please find a way to help make them play be able to play and uh, just support all the kids in your community you know no matter their gender their race their sexuality whatever it is you know support the kids in your community and allow them the opportunity to play the greatest game on earth and I think that's the advice that I would give to parents and, and for kids just to have fun you know hockey should be about having fun and yes it's about winning and losing and dealing with all the things that come with that but more importantly it should be about falling in love with the game so that when you're finished playing you still want to get back and somehow. Oh, and that's the perfect answer to end on, Cassie. We won't keep you any longer, but thank you so much for doing this for me. It was an absolute pleasure. I remember watching you on TV back in, in 1998, and I actually, I'm sure it's still somewhere in my dad's basement. I actually have this book uh, from the, the Olympics. I think it was Esso or, or a gas station like that. And I remember the first one in there is Cassie Campbell. And I remember that vividly. That was the first time, uh, you know, I had heard or read your name and, you know, watched your career ever since. So this was a ton of fun for me as a hockey fan, as a a former somewhat current broadcaster as well. So thank you so much and good luck the rest of the season. And we we can't wait to finally hear your name called in 2022 in Canmore as well. Yeah, no, it's going to, that's going to be a fun event, Ted. I'm going to be looking forward to having my friends and family there. And a funny thing about that ESO book, it was ESO and Natalie Spooner, who's a current player, of course, everyone knows, uh, she actually sent me, she found that in her parents' crawl space and she actually sent me a a little video on it. So, you know, it's kind of nice that it's, still out there somewhere in a few homes and that was a big deal you know back for women's hockey to be you know showcased in a book like that it was a real big deal so thanks for uh saying that ted that's awesome well and i'm i'm gonna find mine and and hopefully and in canmore next year i'm gonna gonna bring it to you for an autograph that'll be pretty fun so i guess that's my summer project is is finding that book all right sounds good it's a guarantee for sure all right thank you cassie cheers ted 
A big thank you again to Cassie Campbell-Pascal. A cool little insight there into the world of broadcasting during a pandemic. And of course, encouraging to hear her story, knowing what she's done to help pave the way for female athletes and now female broadcasters everywhere. And well, you won't be able to see this if you're just listening to the audio, but actually, right after I said it, I realized that Olympic hockey book I was talking about, the Olympic hockey heroes, I mentioned it at the end of the interview, is sitting right in the box behind me, so here's proof that I wasn't just making it up, I have it. Uh, you may have one of these too from back in, in 98 from Esso. Uh, pretty cool thing to find, and I'm glad that interview kind of jogged my memory on that one. And once again, depending on when you listen to this episode, the PWHPA Secret Dream Gap Tour is going on, runs until May 30th. Uh, the games on May 28th, 29th, and 30th actually will be broadcasted live on Sportsnet, so make sure you tune in, show your support, and you can cheer on the seven Albertans taking part. Netminder Emirates Moshmeyer is the lone Albertan playing for Toronto, uh, while Calgary has six Albertans on it, Megan Mickelson, Alex Poznikoff, Mackenzie Abel, Rihanna Curio, Megan Grennan, and Laura Dostler, so they're all suiting up for Calgary, and you know what, it's been a busy first few weeks at Hockey Alberta for Kara Spady, because she also has hosted a trio of Instagram live interviews with those aforementioned Albertans. So make sure you head to Hockey Alberta's Instagram page and check all of those out. Uh, three different interviews. They're all great. I uh, highly recommend watching and, and great job to Kara on those. And speaking of Kara, we will get to her interview with Stephen Tashura in just a few minutes. But first, as always, here's what you need to know. Not a lot going on around Alberta right now, honestly, but it's nothing but good news, which is always nice. Congratulations are in order for Ashley Schrode and Allison Benfeld, who were named Alberta's 2021 BFL Female Coaches of the Year by Hockey Canada. Ashley Schrode, who was honored in the community category, has coached with Barhead Minor Hockey for nine years and has also frequently volunteered with Hockey Alberta and the Team Alberta program. And Allison Benfeld, Alberta's BFL High Performance Coach of the Year, is currently an assistant coach with the Olds College Broncos and is no stranger to the Team Alberta program. She's served on Team Alberta's U18 female coaching staff numerous times, including the 2019 Canada Winter Games gold medal winning squad. And more congratulations are in order, this time for an Albertan official, as George McCory is the recipient of Hockey Canada's Officiating Award. The longtime official, and by long time we're talking 55 years, he has served as referee in chief with Hockey Alberta and chair of the Hockey Alberta Referees Council, and he's also been the vice president and supervisor of officials for the Alberta Junior Hockey League since 1999, so obviously a well-deserved honor there for George. And lastly, Hockey Alberta is looking to fill volunteer roles within its operation committees for the 2021-22 season. So if you are interested in volunteering with Hockey Alberta, being a part of our team that really just helps keep hockey going around the province, head to hockeyalberta.ca slash volunteers for more details. And that's what you need to know. As always, head to hockeyalberta.ca for more information. And now, without further ado, as I mentioned, Kara Spady, the newest employee at Hockey Alberta, is about to make her center ice debut. So here she is with Stephen Teixeira. May is Asian Heritage Month. Throughout the month, Hockey Alberta is recognizing players and staff of Asian descent in an effort to share their hockey story. Today, I'm joined with Stephen Tezura, originally from Coaldale, Alberta and now a resident of Portland, Maine. To start, Stephen, can you introduce yourself and tell us how you got involved in hockey? 
Yeah, I grew up in Coldale, Alberta. So, you know, about 10 miles uh, east of Lethbridge, just like back then we had outdoor rinks. So Coldale had an outdoor rink. And so I played my minor hockey in, in Lethbridge because uh, the organized hockey really wasn't uh, there as much. So if you you know wanted to kind of really get some competition, you had to go to Lethbridge, which wasn't like I said, it's 10 miles away. but Yeah, it's pretty close down there. And I think a lot of people still end up traveling into Lethbridge to play competitive hockey. Do you have a favorite memory from throughout your time playing hockey in Alberta? Well, when I was a kid, I mean, so like I said, I, I remember like this is kind of like a childhood memory. We had a, an outdoor rink, but it was way across town, Kara. So our town made a rink about a block and a half away from my house. But back then, I mean, you could, after I'd get home from school, I could skate down the road. So uh, maybe I was seven or six, six, seven or eight. I can't remember. But so I put on my skates and I could skate down to the road or to the rink. In the, it was right by the high school. And then you could skate back home. And then I remember like my mom, my feet were frozen, obviously. So she would put me on, you know, those vent heaters and I'd put my feet on there and she'd bring you like hot chocolate and that, you know, take care of you, your little kid. But, you know, that's kind of a memory I have as a, a little kid. So. A true Canadian memory at that. Too. Right. I tell my son that he doesn't believe me. So come on, dad. Come on. Come on. What was it like to grow up in a small town like Coldale? Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, hockey was, uh, you know, part of the, especially in the winter, the universal language. So, I mean, I remember going to, so I was close to Lethbridge. I ended up playing for the Medicine Hat Tigers, but I remember going to Bronco, Lethbridge Bronco games and the uh, Tabor Golden Sun games because I, I ended up playing there too, but that was close to Coldale. But I mean, hockey was kind of life, you know, I don't know if it's like that still, I, I'm sure more than it is in here, here in Maine, but uh, that's what I remember. Yeah. You had a standout junior career in Medicine Hat and then went on to play professional hockey. What was your journey like going from small town Alberta to the professional ranks? Yeah, so I mean, I did I didn't play in the National Hockey League. I, I did play in the American Hockey League. You know, I always dreamed about playing more in the other league than the in the top league. But yeah, I had fun, and then I ended up playing in Europe and actually in Japan to finish off my career. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'll never forget uh, all of the junior uh, road trips. As I'm sure that those kids are doing the same thing nowadays. Those long bus rides. <laughs> you just touched on you never had the chance to play in the NHL, but you were drafted. What do you remember about that day? So, I mean, I got drafted like really late. I remember like talking to a few like agents before I thought they, they thought maybe I would get drafted a little sooner. But anyway, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted real early. So I remember I think I went golfing with my dad <laughs> for some reason. I don't know. We, we went golfing and then uh, got a call from Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Flyers, and they put Bobby Clark on the phone, which he was the big star of the Flyers back in that time period. So it was kind of cool talking to him. So that's what I remember. So In those days, Bobby Clark was synonymous with Flyers hockey. So that's a pretty neat experience. That was also an era of the game when size was a big part of the game. Being smaller in stature and an offensive force in the juniors, do you think your playing style is a better fit in today's game? I mean, I, I think, you know, back then it was a little bit different, but I mean, 
for I'm just like looking back on me personally, if uh, you know, I was small, obviously, so you had to be, you know, you weren't scaring anyone out there. So you definitely had to contribute offensively and, you know, change the game that way. And I think my talent was I was good at everything. But I think as a small player, you had to be like exceptionally if I was an exceptional shooter or exceptionally fast or something. There might have been a chance for me to play, you know, at the other level, because, you know, I think a little player could still play, but he just had to differentiate himself a little more. Does that make sense, Kara? So I was pretty good at everything, but I wasn't exceptional at one thing, you know? So maybe if I sucked at a couple other things, but I was exceptional at something, maybe I would have got a look. But, you know, I don't regret anything and it is what it is. So we can talk about the what could have been and should have been all day. But when it comes down to it, hockey gave you some amazing experiences, including the 98 Olympics in Japan. Can you tell us about the process and what that experience was like? Yeah, it was really, it was a real, it was a very cool experience you know there was six i think there were six north americans that were kind of like me born in canada we had one american but he didn't play in the olympics but there were six of us that played for japan i mean they wanted to make sure that their team didn't get embarrassed i think was the main thing uh you know we didn't play it we played in the earlier pool against like the Frances, the austrias teams like that, Kazakhstan's. And then what they did was they took the winner from each side to play against Canada, US, the Czechs, the Russians. So that's the Olympic hockey. That's how it was set up that year. But I wouldn't change it, I guess. I mean, the experience of playing in Japan, I played in Europe, in Switzerland. Uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, one of my children was born in Switzerland. So my kids got to see Tokyo for a couple of years. So that was a quite an experience. So yeah, it's been great or was great. Did you have a favorite memory from the Olympics? We were in the opening ceremonies, but we also played that day. So it was just rush, rush, rush. But I know coming into the, the stadium, was that was an experience that I probably won't forget. Just marching in and seeing all the different countries and, and doing that. So I think that was probably a real good memory from, from the Olympics. That's a common theme when talking with Olympic athletes. Their favorite memories are the opening or closing ceremonies, and you have a chance to take it all in, the energy, the people, while representing your country. Your career led you to Japan, but playing in the 80s and 90s in North America and Europe, as a Japanese-Canadian, did you face any adversity or discrimination? And looking back, do you think you paved the way for future generations? Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think of like... Uh... Alberta and like, like Canada. I mean, I didn't really find any, I mean, I thought of myself like my, you know, as my best friend who was Caucasian or whatever it was, you know, I, I didn't really find any discriminating stuff until maybe I turned pro when you go into different cities and you hear stuff a little more, but I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't think I really paved the way for any, any of the other guys that are playing now, the, like the Nick Suzuki's or, you know, Paul Korea. I mean, if you were talented enough, then, I mean, you could make your way, you know? So um, I think there's maybe more players just because there's maybe more, I don't know, maybe more opportunity or more players play now. I'm not sure what the, you know, the, the percentages are, but like I said, I think if I was a little better at something else, I would have played at a higher level. And you were good enough that the game rewarded you and your family an opportunity, including after the 98 Olympics, when you took over as head coach of team Japan, what was that transition from player to coach? Like, yeah, I, I did it for four years, Kara. So it was fun. Uh, what happened was it was I coached the Japanese national team, but there was no Olympics till 02 and Japan didn't qualify for 02. So 
I didn't get to coach them in the Olympics, but very interesting. I guess, I mean, looking back, it was kind of my first like foray into coaching, which was kind of, you know, interesting. And it was kind of a, I didn't get a team for the whole season per se. So what I did was I coached different events. So I would be in Japan a month. And then I was also a second assistant coach for uh, the team in Portland, Maine, that was in the American Hockey League. So I was home a month. So I was kind of traveling back and forth. So that was kind of a unique experience that I didn't have a team for a year, I guess that you can say. So I, I was putting these teams together for different events, for different, you know, different competitions, but it was, it was a good experience. Definitely. At that time you had a family too. Was the travel hard on you? Yeah, probably harder on my wife, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I was kind of na- an absentee dad. I was home. I would come home and then be around for three weeks to, you know, drive the kids around whatever I had to do or, you know, look after them. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it the best situation, but it was a very, like I said, a very unique situation. So you mentioned that was your first foray into coaching. How did you go from playing in the Olympics to becoming a coach? Yeah, they, I mean, they needed a coach, I guess. So, and they thought, well, this guy's getting old, you know, so it's time for him to retire, throw him in there. But with that said, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, because it's hockey, it's kind of an easy transition. I mean, but I think what happened after I kind of, you know, run my course with the Japanese national team, you know, like you said about being away from family. So I was thinking, well, if I want to continue coaching, maybe I have to move to a junior hockey team or I I mean, I would have to uproot my family again. So I kind of decided just not to pursue that. And like you said, I kind of was away and I kind of felt like, geez, you know, maybe it's time for my family. So I found a job and, you know, I settled down and I just stayed in Maine and and that I have a, you know, place that I love to work. So it's fine. And that's kind of the life. That's where I am now. So do you still coach or are you still involved in the game today? Uh, No, I don't. So I I remember coaching my son's team for a couple of years in minor hockey. And, you know, I did that, uh, which was fun. So, but no, so I've been asked a few times to maybe, you know, do that again, but I have not coached. So I'm an armchair critiquer from the TVs going, that guy's no good. This guy's, you know, good. Or, you know, I could, oh, what is he doing? You know, I'm one of those guys. The month of May is Asian Heritage Month in Canada. What does your Asian heritage mean to you? So my parents were born in Canada. And they're both gone now, but they were born in the West Coast. So they were uprooted from, you know, where they lived on the coast when the war broke out. So they got interned into interior BC. And it's funny, my dad really, or mother, when they were living, really never spoke about anything. But I remember, you know, maybe I'm going to say 15 years ago or something, my dad, we were driving in the Vancouver, you know, down by outside of Vancouver. And he said, whoa, we used to own that that property over there. And I said, really, you own that over there? And I said, how? Oh, yeah, three acres or something. I was going, what? You know, and anyway, so, it, you know, they never really talked about that. But yeah, it got taken away, which is, you know, very sad, kind of uh, part of our history. But that's just the way it was. And, you know, they set up a, a good life in Alberta. So that's what happened. Here at Hockey Alberta, we strongly support Hockey for Life and would love to hear what that means to you. Well, I still am very proud of my Alberta roots. So, you know, anytime I speak to an Albertan or meet up with an Albertan, I I think that's great. So I think hockey has just been a great life lesson for me. I mean, it's whether you're playing with your teammates that you have to coexist with if you don't like someone or, you, you know, you have a personal bond with one or two of the guys. That's great. 
or if maybe you have a coach that maybe you have to work with. So if it's a boss at home, you know, when your job now, or maybe a coworker that you have to get along, it's a great learning lesson, I think, uh, in life, you know, that's what kind of hockey does or sport in general. But I think hockey was invaluable in teaching me some life lessons. So thank you very much for joining us today, Stephen. We greatly appreciate you taking the time. Great talking to you guys. A huge thank you once again to Steve Tashura. I really enjoyed listening to that interview and hearing how much passion he still has for the game. And great work by Kara Spady on her Center Ice podcast debut as well. We've really thrown her into the fire already, and you'll be hearing lots more from her as we move forward. And just like that, that is it for episode 12 of the Center Ice Podcast. One last thank you to our guests, Cassie Campbell-Pascal and Stephen Tashura, to Kara Spady, and of course to the man, the myth, the legend, producer Steve. And lastly, thank you to all of you for tuning in once again. For the Center Ice Podcast, I'm Ted Emmett, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Center Ice Podcast. For this episode and more, head to HockeyAlberta.ca. If there's a topic you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, email info at HockeyAlberta.ca.